Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast, where we meet with leaders from across the procurement community to discuss innovative and strategic ideas. Because when it comes to procurement, every decision matters. All right, welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stonehouse, and today with me is Bernadette Lowney, and we are privileged to be joined by Alyssa Kenny as well from the Public Service Commission of Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us, Alyssa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be with you today. Can you give us uh, just a quick intro on how you got into uh, the public sector and how you got to the position that you're in today? Sure. So my career started um, in the nonprofit world. I worked primarily for community centers, so community-based organizations often embedded in low-income neighborhoods, helping with a variety of services and community leadership development. Um, And one of the key activities I did there and I was really interested in when I did that work was building community technology centers and creating access to public computing and the internet through computer centers. And then later I became the executive director of a small nonprofit called DaneNet that did IT assistance and again, digital equity work. This time, instead of encouraging families to come to a community center, um, trying to get low-income families their own devices and help them sign up for internet access and sort of navigate that digital equity piece and sort of the digital literacy skills that they might need to make good use of the internet and device. And then just under two years ago, I moved over to the Public Service Commission. And so it kind of felt like a a natural outgrowth of my work. Um, Other than for the past, the previous 20 years, I've worked in really small scales. So in neighborhoods, in a section of the city, and now I'm doing statewide work, but still a lot of that same driving vision around broadband access and internet access for all. And really with this focus on thinking hard about the people who don't have it and what are the the strategies and tools we need to make sure that everyone has access, not just infrastructure, but things like affordability, equity, digital literacy. Oh, it's it's such an interesting space because I think broadband and internet, it's changed so much in the last 15, 20 years where before it might not have been seen as a necessity in day-to-day life, but that has changed a lot. And especially I know the pandemic really highlighted a lot of those inequities with children having to do school from home, having to work from home, that having that digital access was really, really critical for being able to survive and and continue working. So really important time to be in that space. For me and for many people who have been in the field for a long time, we've, we've felt like it's really essential and critical and part of, you know, participating in the economy, participating in education, but even in a more lofty way that it's, it's really in many ways critical for sort of access to democracy. So much information is only over the internet, so much way we access our public resources are over the internet. You know, and essentially the the door to City Hall has become a web portal. And so people who don't have access to the web just don't have the same access to City Hall and their elected officials. And so I think the pandemic has really shined a very, very bright light on that. But for many of us, we've considered it an essential critical community service for, well, some people decades. I'll say I've just been in that group for the last decade. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means specifically in the state of Wisconsin. I know Alex is from Wisconsin, so he knows more of the ins and outs of 
the cities and the rural population and, and just the landscape of the state. But can you kind of tell us a little bit more about what broadband access specifically looks like in Wisconsin? Sure. In Wisconsin, you know, there's there's a couple of different challenges when you're trying to access the internet, right? So there's access, like, do I have just the infrastructure available in my community? Then we also often talk about this affordability. So is it is it something that I can afford? Can I sign up for it? You know, are there barriers to me signing up related to my credit or if I have a bank account? And then I think what we're seeing in particularly the pandemic has really shined a light on this is what I would call the adequacy A, is that people might have internet, but it's just really insufficient for their needs now. It was their network or the infrastructure was designed thinking that one person might be streaming or that, you know, emailing and surfing the web was sort of what was it was designed for. And then all of a sudden you have two kids and a parent trying to all virtually stream live video or upload things. And so I think we've seen that challenge really grow in the state that there's a lot of people who have internet, but it's just not enough, or a lot of households that have data plans and they don't have sufficient data. And so, you know, the FCC throws around the number 382,000 Wisconsinites don't have internet. Broadband Now, which is a private think tank or a private industry group, says that that number is more like 680,000. Our office thinks that it's somewhere around 700 to 800,000 people in the state that really, and that's the people who I would say, if they wanted to order the broadband they need to fully participate in life, can't even order it. There's a whole nother set of people in the state that just can't afford it don't have a device, um, sort of that fit on that other side. But I would also say our office has been working really hard at shrinking that number. We have a grant program and we have projects that are finishing up construction or currently under construction to get about 120,000 of that number um, connected to the internet through broadband. And so that number is shrinking. There's just a lot of a lot of great projects happening to connect a lot of those people, but it's it's a big number. And it's also a difficult to measure number. It's really interesting that you mentioned all of those factors, because I remember when the pandemic first started and we all went home, people would be kind of like glitching out or drop off. And I just remember thinking like, that makes total sense. There's 50 times as much video streaming right now as there would usually be on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. or a Wednesday at 10 in the morning. Like we used to all just sit and talk to each other and now every single person is streaming live video. So like that has to have an impact on the bandwidth. But then the uh, the total population numbers are really interesting to me as well, because if you're used to talking about big states or big cities, like you might think, oh, it's less than a million people. It doesn't sound like that much. 600,000 people, that'd be like the entire city of Milwaukee. When you start thinking of it, like what if we group that 600,000, 700,000 people together? That's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so in approaching getting it to as many people as you can, is the strategy figuring out the hubs where people don't have access, but there's a higher population to get your most bang for your buck? Or is it more like getting it to people, places where people really express the desire that they want it or it's an easier setup or something like that? Um, so it's a, a little bit of all three. I think if there's areas in the state where there's a density of people that want it, and I should just clear up those numbers I gave, those are for what the FCC and people talk about is broadband. Yeah, yeah. And so that's like the 25-3. Um, but 
but almost everybody in the state actually has internet access. It just might be through satellite or it might be DSL. Yeah. It's just not, it doesn't sort of fit that. So lots of people have internet access. It's how many people don't have broadband at home is really the numbers I was giving. What the state's interest is, is, you know, if there's a, in any opportunity, in any place for the market, just the regular market where businesses go in and build infrastructure or build a facility and then sell it to customers, we just want the market to work, right? We don't, we don't want government to, we don't need to put our fingers on the scale in any way. So if there's a density that of people and they have enough demand or they have their own, do, you know, own local dollars and they have a provider that's just, you know, it's just sort of a time, then then obviously the state, not obviously, but the state's less interested in those types of projects. What we're interested in funding is projects where the return on investment is not available to the business or provider and sort of providing the funding to make that return on investment model work and to make their investment worthwhile so they can do it. So we're, we're pretty focused on those unserved and underserved customers. That said, there could be an area of the state. We had a, a great project outside of Chippewa Falls a few years ago. And, you know, some, some of the project had some density, but they just didn't have enough for the type of enterprise center and the type of sort of economic development that they were looking for. And so the state put in some dollars, we reached some unserved locations, but we also reached sort of an enterprise business center and some economic development areas that, that were then drawn there because of the much higher speed internet. And so it's a little bit of both. Certainly in our state grant program, we look for a strong partnership between the local community and the internet service provider. So we want the, you know, the provider to be interested in the community, have all the capacity to build and operate an internet service, but we also want the community to be an engaged partner and be, you know, helping and wanting to work with that provider and that that provider is sort of fitting their broadband needs. But that that density question is really hard because there's, it's kind of like, a, it depends, but what we want to do is we want to help projects get to commercial viability, um, but we don't want to subsidize, subsidize private businesses in the state. It's a really interesting way to look at it um, in terms of the communities that, as you mentioned, that could pay for it on their own. They have the funds, they have the need. That is, that's not where you guys are looking at. It's the places that can't do it on their own. Um, I think that's a really great segue into the recent initiatives and funding that um, Wisconsin and PSC is experiencing right now. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? From, from what I've been able to see with our research is that with the ARPA funds, Wisconsin is doing a really, really big push with broadband access and would love to just hear a little bit what's going on. Yeah, so 2021 is an exciting year for us. Our Governor Evers announced it as the year of broadband, and so there's been kind of an increased focus. And um, we were among many states, but one of the first states for the governor to allocate some of the state, we're calling it ARPA, American Rescue Plan Act funds, $100 million to uh, broadband grants, and so, or broadband infrastructure. And so we opened up that grant process on June 1st, and it just closed last Tuesday. We had $100 million available. We received $438 million and 241 applications. So basically more requests for money than sort of all kind of previous grant programs put together. And so it, it, that was great because there's just really clear demand for the program, and there's also a strong appetite from the provider community and then local communities to really be building infrastructure. People want to focus on this now. Um, 
it's clear that that funding was a barrier and now that there's dollars available people are really ready to particularly you know i get to look at all these projects um you know people are really sort of stretching into some of the mo more rural and difficult to serve areas and and stretching in with projects that are really going to solve the problem for the generation we're really trying to move away from what i would call sort of a transitional solution or a short-term a three-year solution with these dollars we're looking at how do you how do you fund projects that will create i don't want to quite say permanent but you know solve the problem for a generation a, a 20 or 30 year solution so looking at these applications who who is it that's applying for the funds is it the state and or is it the local governments is it um is it the utility companies that want to fill the gaps with maybe conversations that they've had with local jurisdictions so like what exactly does that process look like um yes to, i mean internet service providers so um you know including what i would call like the big price cap carriers so like a tds at&t spectrum frontier are the ones in the state of wisconsin they apply also smaller internet service providers that maybe you know work just regionally or in a few states apply a town or municipality might apply we have economic development um, corporations that apply sometimes on behalf of like in a consortium of providers if they need to build sort of relationship between them. We have city governments that apply um, so that the application is pretty there's a lot of eligible organizations. What's really important to us is one it's getting to that un and underserved area and two, particularly with the ARPA funds that they're going to hit the, the performance metrics so that they're going to be able to deliver a service that meets this 100 by 100 speed when they're fully constructed. And so those are the, the two big things we're looking for in this grant round. It's really interesting to hear. I feel like one of our big missions here too is when we think a lot of the work that we're doing is with people in procurement on the CPO level, on the, the kind of senior buyer level. And it's really interesting to hear or to think about it in terms of what's actually happening at the end of these procurements though, like what's happening with the end user, what's happening with the person who's actually like in this case, using the internet or using the broadband. Has there been a, re a positive response from the individual citizens in terms of how these projects have been deployed? Yes, I mean, it's or a little Do they not different. even really know the, or do they not know the kind of ins and outs of it? I think um, it depends a lot on that community engagement piece at the front end. And so some of our projects come really where a community and an internet service provider are working hand in hand or where a community, I mean, a lot of communities now have their own broadband task force or work group at a county or local level. And so in those cases, they are really deeply invested in shaping the project, picking the provider. There's also just a lot of other times that a internet service provider, they wanna serve more people. They just need some public dollars to, to reach their network a little further. And so the community in those cases still, I think very much appreciates the internet, but they, you know, they don't necessarily see fully that it was through a grant that they have the internet. They see more that, you know, a local provider in their area has expanded service to them. Um, so, but certainly we, we frequently, so we do a couple of things sort of just to check on the performance of our grants, but one of them is to just cold call customers and also to cold call elected officials in the area where we have a grant and just sort of hear, you know, do you have service? <laughs> Were you able to order service? You know, have you heard any complaint? You know, just to, to make sure that the projects are really delivering where they're supposed to. And when we do those calls, we generally 
just get a really positive response, but there are people who didn't, didn't know that there were state dollars involved. Um, but for the most part, people are very, you know, if you, if you had a, a slower internet or you were um, really struggling to participate in school or, you know, we hear stories of families, you know, you hear the sort of traditional, you've got to do your homework in the library parking lot or the fast food parking lot. Um, and then all of a sudden you can do all that from home. That, that's really exciting. It's not like a switch though. You know, people often are in other contracts and need the devices and need this, you know, it's not just like fiber comes to your home and your whole life changes the next day. I think we see sort of some transition and these projects take a little bit of time to mature and for them to be fully subscribed and to people really make full use of it. That's a really interesting point that I don't think I thought of that you can provide the access, but that's not necessarily a lot of these people have adjusted to their lives of not having broadband access. So where do you go from there? Is that something that your office incorporates that in your community engagement or does that kind of fall to the local level? A lot of it has fallen to the local level. I would say we certainly are working harder at doing some of that outreach and then encouraging our grant projects to really embed that engagement and outreach throughout their proposal. And so proposals are scoring higher if they're showing that outreach, whether they're bringing in a local library, the senior center. We had we had a town that literally um, did all their outreach at the dump, which might sound strange, but that was like the place every, you know, they didn't have trash service. Everybody came to the dump every Saturday. You know, the broadband, the chair of the broadband group basically stood at the dump one Saturday and did a survey, stood at the dump, you know, three months later and did some outreach, you know, and, you know, stood at the dump four Saturdays after the project and help people get information about signing up. And it was incredibly effective. Um, I don't know if our office would think to do that, but communities, you know, know their communities the best. And so those types of solutions are, you know, innovative and effective, and that's what we want to fund and support. Yeah, it's the classic advice of meet the people where they are. You know, they're going to be yeah. <laughs> Well, I grew up in Milwaukee County. My parents moved up to Washington County, like once I was in college and they're out in Slinger now. Their only broadband option is um, Spectrum, I think. As you look at like kind of the map of Wisconsin, is it usually the case where just there'll be one, they kind of agree with each other, like, hey, we're taking this region, you take that region, and there's only one broadband option per area? Or are there actually places where there's two players like really hard competing for one spot? So about 67, 60, about 67 percent of Wisconsinites essentially have no choice. They have like an effective, you know, okay. um, one one monopoly, you know, and so it's it's mostly like in the big the urban areas where people would have choice or two providers competing. And and it's really our office, certainly in our broadband plan, we see competition as positive. It brings down prices. It can improve customer service. It gets really difficult though when you're talking about investing public dollars. Do you want to give dollars where there's, you know, just to fund competition essentially if somebody else has already built facilities there? And so in general, grant dollars are not used to fund that competition, but we don't necessarily see see competition as negative. Like it, it generally really does positive things for the consumer. But it's challenging because if there's not a return on investment for the first company to build into an area, they need a really, they often need a very high, what I would call take rate. They need a lot of people to subscribe. If you're talking about three farms per mile, 
of fiber you put in the ground, you really need those three farms to subscribe. And if you only get one of them, or if you get another, another provider and everybody, each of those three farms has a choice, it, it really changes the cost model for the, the companies. So I'm, it, it's a strong tension in our program. This, you know, we're providing dollars to public businesses and we want them and, you know, we're making sure they build out their projects, but they often then set the prices in the future. Um, and so how do you control kind of the the service that people get and the prices that they have to pay into the future. That makes total sense. Another question I have is a lot of our audience is public procurement professionals. Is the allotment of grant dollars different from how you would do typical public purchasing? Like, Do you have the same regulations and policies in place or is there additional leeway for how you can choose to spend those dollars? So I'm not a procurement person, so I can't, I feel like there's something called like level one and two, but our grants are not, they're not done like procurements. They're not RFPs. They're very different because we're looking sort of at, you know, we're scoring a bunch of different things and then it goes to a commission and, you know, the commissioners are appointed and the commission, commissioners need to sort of use the framework in our statute in the to score the grants, but if the commission decides match is really important this year, or boy, we haven't done a project in this area of the state. And even though that that grant officially didn't score as high, we never get proposals from this area. We're going to give them what we're funding this. And so there's a lot more um, flexibility in the way the grant program operates, I would say. There's not, you know, the stricter procurement things. And then frequently those, the people who are awarded the grants then have to follow the uniform regulation, guidance regulation for purchasing. So they do their own bidding and things, and they just need to confirm that they're doing that work. I do know, I'm sure everyone's hearing this and, you know, yay for the infrastructure bill, but people are having a hard time procuring fiber and and actually even more than the fiber is the conduit that the fiber goes into. Just a lot of projects are backordered and particularly since so much of the money, right? The infrastructure money aside, a lot of the money is really very time sensitive because it's supposed to be COVID response money. And so they want things constructed really rapidly, but we're seeing a lot of, a lot of providers really trying to compete for both materials and labor and, and struggling. They're, they want to be building more than they can get in their supply chain right now. It sounds very similar to the semiconductor issue that led to the car shortage where like, I've, I've also heard that there's definitely some area, I don't know about Wisconsin, but I think New York was a good example where like they've been given a lot of federal funds as well. And just they're sitting in like an account somewhere and they haven't figured out how to appropriate them or like set up the infrastructure to let people grab, like come get the money. So then there's this weird dynamic of, we think we're going to be okay. We think we're going to be able to build. We already started the project. We need to get that extra $20,000 or $50,000, whatever we've been granted on that interaction. So that combination of like state level and federal level is always an interesting kind of push pull on what you can get access to. Yeah. And I was just really excited and proud to be working in Wisconsin when they did the ARPA grants, because I felt like a lot of other states were, um, kind of waiting and, you know, just making sure. And I just sort of felt like Wisconsin, you know, just was really aggressive and just immediately allocating it to broadband and trying to get the money out the door to providers, you know, it, it will be awarded by the end of this, this calendar year. And so, and I, I'm hoping that that will give Wisconsin an edge as other states are um, thinking and confirming and waiting to release the money. And so I, 
I really just felt very proud of just sort of how kind of like rapidly we deployed it and how quickly we're going to be able to release it. I, I hope there's more, but I think that that was um, smart strategy on Wisconsin's point. This has been wonderful. Is there anything that we haven't asked you, Alyssa, that you want to share? I guess I just wanted to say that, you know, and this probably has nothing to do with procurement or very little, but I do think we're, we really are trying to take a pivot in the state and focus more energy on this idea of digital equity. And so, Alex, you mentioned that you're from Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. now, Milwaukee has 80,000 people who don't have internet at home. And this, the state needs to to think about ways and strategies that some of these public dollars can be used to solve those problems. They're different problems than the infrastructure problem, but they're they're still broadband problems and they still sort of, I think, fall to the, the Public Service Commission and the broadband office to, to be providing sort of leadership and guidance on. And so whether that's you know, deploying devices or doing outreach on federal affordability programs or, you know, coordinating with property owners. I, I don't know what all the solutions are, but we, we do have a stakeholder group that's, that's really starting to dig in, not, not just on Milwaukee, but, you know, there's people all over the state. It's not necessarily urban, but I do think we've been long focused on infrastructure and we need to really expand our view to infrastructure and equity because there's a lot of people in the state that have been left left behind for all those organizational systematic reasons that, that groups of people get left behind for. And we, we need to really dig in and look at those deeply and put some state resources, energy, and strategy behind those, those households too. And so that's just sort of what I, I think is coming in the future for our office. And, and I also think in the infrastructure bill, there was a big digital equity piece. They're, they're looking at that too as really something that makes broadband infrastructure work. That's that's uh, great to hear that that's an area of focus because as much, there's a lot that I love about Milwaukee, but that's always been kind of a issue. Every four years, the elections come up and people talk about how, why don't we just vote from our iPhones or why don't we just vote on the internet? Like, it'd be so easy. Why am I sending in a line to go do that? Or like, why am I mailing a piece of paper into the mail? I could just do it on my computer. And that is the exact answer though of like, hey, there's 80,000 people who they can't just do it from their iPhone or they can't just do it from their house. So like for them, it would be unfairly more difficult than it is for other people who don't have that problem. So, but it's awesome to hear that you guys are working on that, thinking about that and solving that, that problem. I'll say, like I said before, probably the community itself will solve the problem or I'm sure yeah. they will, but yeah. what, what what's the role of the state in providing support and funds as we do to other yeah. areas? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has yeah. been an awesome episode. Super interesting. So thanks so much. Great. Thanks so much. It was great meeting both of you. You too. Yeah, great to meet you. Thanks for listening to Decisions That Matter. This podcast is brought to you by Procurated, the leading supplier evaluation tool for procurement professionals across the U.S. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. See you again next time.